the Trent, the Jet, they like agents On top of pavements, peppermint patty fragrance Taking the credits when they spits and spritz A chip and dip, a dip and del, I pin the tail Death throw the penalty ID, throwing your identity Theft crime in the night, pick pop, key the lock Stop, drop, roll the dice, double double dough, eat the rock road Rochambeau, tic-tac-toe, crossing the road with the nice flow With my industry, see me room, room, play Monopoly With my commodities, stop the eyes and cross the teeth at the car wash you'll get that a little bit later how do you do venters welcome to what is unintentionally season number two of vent with trent the gent when i decided to begin this journey into being a podcaster i had no idea the amount of time it would take to produce content of high value well now i know my goal is to give you about a half dozen or so episodes within the next couple of months. So let's call it season number two. Promises, promises. But what I can promise is the candor of my guest, Peter Shea, who is the chairman of Entrepreneur Media. Peter believes that we all are capable of grabbing the brass ring. So without any more delay, I will let my friend Peter Shea tell you about that story and more. Listen carefully. So how are you doing, Peter? Doing fine, thank you. Good, good. to see you again, Trent. Well, it's good to see you. I haven't seen you in a while because um, you're living in, in Nevada nowadays, so Have, welcome back. And yeah, I moved to Nevada uh, approximately five years ago and I uh, uh, was able to, you know, I could have a, uh, the house I have here is, is uh, now a vacation house and, and uh, but we're you know we're out of California some you know 220 days a year between uh, you know our home in Las Vegas and also fortunate enough to have a home in Utah. Yeah good so we're going to talk a little bit later about your travels and things that you've learned lessons learned on your travels but let's go to the very beginning of when you were a kid. What were some of the entrepreneurial signs that you saw in yourself as as a kid? Uh, well, probably as a kid, uh, uh, unfortunately, I guess, uh, my father died when I was three years old. So I've been, uh, my mother and I moved from Boston to California and, and uh, uh, consequently I've been working since I was 12 years old. I think I was the only white kid in a black car wash at 12 years old and, and it, was, it was quite a good experience actually and, and uh, worked there for oh, probably three, four years on the weekends and uh, uh, in, in the late 50s, early 60s you could get away with that. You know, there weren't any laws that you couldn't start work until you were 16 years old or anything like that. So uh, just, you know, I just have always worked. Uh, you know, unfortunately that, that didn't allow me to play sports in school, especially high school, because I had to work if I wanted a car, if I wanted clothes, if I wanted to go out and have a hamburger or whatever, I had to pay for it myself. So I had uh, probably during those years, I probably had 10 different, 10 different jobs. Sometimes I had two jobs at a, you know, any given time. Wow. And so what did working that much like I said, did that instill like an entrepreneurial spirit in you? How or well, I don't know if it it was entrepreneurial. It certainly taught me how to you know certainly taught me how to work. Mm -hmm. And um, you know, uh, unfortunately, I think today with uh, 
uh, you know, especially in California, uh, you know, and it, although it's traveling is, is in different states, is this minimum wage thing. And uh, uh, unfortunately, it's it's not creating jobs. It's going to eliminate some jobs because a lot of the minimum wage jobs, uh, you know, working at a McDonald's or you know someplace else like that, are going to go away because they're raising that wage to a. Uh, a degree where the restaurants are just not going to be able to afford people. And the minimum wage jobs were never supposed to support a family. They were basically uh, like, you know, things that I did. It taught me how to work, it taught me how to show up on time, and I had to act a certain way and, and do certain things. And, and uh, uh, I, I think uh, uh, what's happening is just going to eliminate a lot of that and is not going to give uh, people the opportunity to learn. And uh, so, um, you know, uh, to answer your question as far as, you know, entrepreneurial uh, endeavors and everything else, uh, I did with another fellow start a self-defense school uh, when I was 17 years old. And uh, we ended up teaching uh, uh, self-defense karate and jiu-jitsu to uh, part of the, uh, a lot of the LAPD uh, enforcement officers and also Pasadena enforcement officers. So you stated before that you worked so much you didn't have the opportunity to, to play sports. Right. So did you learn jujitsu at some point? How? how oh or? yeah. Well, I, I uh, joined a school. I think when I was about fourteen or fifteen, and and worked my way through the different ranks and everything else. And we had a uh, uh, an instructor. My 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 instructor, who you know, I am, am then became partners with. Uh, we studied with a, a, a fellow by the name of Takabota, who was a, a Shotokan karate out of uh, Japan, and he'd, he'd come he'd come across to teach uh, that style of karate, which was a very tough style, st still is. Uh, and so we became his student. If you his you know his uh, he was our sensei, and uh, that was the style we taught. And then we had a, another fellow that came in, and, and we dabbled with jujitsu at the time too. Mm -hmm. So what habits or any did you learn from jujitsu and martial arts? And the second part of that would be to date, what is your, your best habit that you have? Well, I think, I think you learn good work habits. Uh, you know, you, you uh, learn respect. And uh, there were certain protocols when you went into the studio and, and how you uh, uh, approached your instructor and, and uh, your sensei, if you will. And uh, so it, it, uh, uh, the, dis the discipline uh, and uh, uh, just work ethic. Uh, you know, if you weren't going to work at it, you weren't going to go anywhere. So I think all of those, all of the above, if you will, uh, 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 obviously stuck with me I think mm -hmm. and uh, so I've always had a, a good work ethic uh, you know I, uh, I'm not so sure that the younger generation today has quite the same work ethic but then again uh, you know things things change and by that I mean it, it's you know I think it's a fact that at least my opinion that everybody has to pay their dues and uh, Today, you know, uh, you know, I've had many companies and everything else, and I'm not so sure this generation that's coming up quite has the uh, work ethic and, and really wants to pay their dues like we did. Uh, 
And I think that's, that's very important. You can't stop, you know, very seldom you can start at the top. Yes. Uh, you got to work your way up there. And uh, a lot of people today, and again, in my opinion, uh, want to start, you know, one place and then immediately want to be at the top. Well, it, it just doesn't work that way. Yeah. Talking about the younger generation, we'll, we'll get into that in, in, in my question. But I read somewhere that you called yourself a self-proclaimed product of the streets. Correct. Um, you once said that your lack of education made you unemployable. So what's your feeling on the, the children uh, of today getting college degrees, incurring a large amount of debt, and, and still unemployable? What, what is the state of the well, world? Well, you know, uh, I have stated that I was unemployable probably because I was uh, you know, a little bit of a jerk when I was younger <laughs> and uh, rather, uh, I guess, probably opinionated and, and uh, all the above. But, you know, basically, uh, because I've been on my, actually been on my own since I was about 15 years old and moved out of my, my house, my mother got remarried and, and uh, there just really wasn't a place for me there. So, and that was fine. So got an apartment and, uh, you know, uh, got on with it. I got on with my life. Uh, the uh, whole aspect of, of uh, going to college, uh, that just wasn't going to happen. One, I didn't have the money to do it. And uh, in those days, uh, there, there weren't loans that you could take out to go to college and, and learn, uh, in a lot of cases, from what I'm seeing, very useless things. You know, liberal arts educations, I don't, I don't know what you use a liberal arts education for today. Uh, other than get a uh, you know end up owning uh, owing about forty sixty thousand dollars in government loans, or more, so uh, I just realized that you know I had to go to work, and uh, I had a, a number of a number of jobs had the the self defense schools and and uh, actually became a, uh, a cop uh, for about four or five years a policeman uh, was a I worked mostly undercover, uh, and uh, that taught me a lot of a lot of things. Some, you know, some very interesting things. And uh, uh, but uh, as far as my background, I, you know, going to school was not an option. Uh, I realized uh, I worked for uh, two very large companies for I guess probably a period of about two years until I ended up starting another company that became a very large uh, electronics company with another fellow. And I just, I just realized working for the other two companies uh, that uh, working for somebody else, uh, especially uh, those type of companies, uh, probably wasn't the best thing that, that I could do. Uh, you know, I, I uh, uh, you know, always wanted to do my own thing. So. Yeah. So you mentioned police officer. It was a former narcotics agent, correct? Correct. Um, so with that said, with the whole exploding industry of cannabis industry and, and that boom, did you ever see this day coming with the legalization of marijuana? And uh, you know, uh, quite honestly, uh, the guys I worked with, uh, maybe with the exception of a couple, uh, we, all, we all felt that uh, they should just legalize everything and tax it. Uh, we were being paid to do a job and uh, so I guess you could call me kind of a mercenary, if you will. But we were paid to do a job, and that was to, you know, arrest people. We, we you know, had a couple really big cases. 
but uh, overall uh, I just felt it was a losing losing cause uh, so why not tax it so uh, if you're probably asking am I in favor of the marijuana laws today that are you know it's it's very easy to get it uh, they legalized it uh, I think California will legalize it where I live in Nevada they're gonna legalize it uh, and I think that's probably the only way to do it. Uh, at least you might as well make some tax revenue on it. Mm -hmm. uh, theoretically, it'll it'll knock out some of the cartels coming from Mexico and everything else selling their product. Although, you know, we, if we don't close the borders, they probably are moving into our area anyway. But I think that's a that's a bigger problem I think than anything else is we need to close the borders and and have. Uh, you know, have have a, uh, a way of vetting people and, and letting the right people in and let them in do it the right way and get rid of the bad people and get them the hell out of here. So uh, uh, I guess to answer your question, yeah, tax it. Yeah. So just by talking, you mentioned a few of them. You've had many businesses along the way. And I heard that you were actually a client of Entrepreneur Magazine back in the day, and then you, you liked the magazine so much, you ended up buying it. Can you yeah, tell us about Well, basically that? what happened was I sold my electronics business in uh, 1980, and uh, by 1983, when interest rates went to 21%, I was building condominiums in, in three parts of the world at the same time, which wasn't the brightest thing to do. So I managed to spend a substantial amount of my own money and uh, to a point where I had to start all over again in 83. In 1983, I ended up buying a, a small franchising company, a company called Stained Glass Overlay that had about 10 franchisees. And we were able to build it to, uh, oh, I think over 400 franchisees in 27 countries in about three years. During that period of time, uh, one of the vehicles we used to advertise in to sell franchises was Entrepreneur Magazine. They end up writing an article about us uh, in uh, about 80, excuse me, 84, uh, mid 84, and then uh, because of that article, we we sold a number of franchises. And so I went up to thank the editor and found out that the the company was actually uh, in it was a public company. It was in bankruptcy, hmm. and uh, the then editor and publisher had been trying to figure out how to buy it and the individual that started the company, a guy named Chase Ravel, who was a very interesting character in his own right, uh, he's, uh, he's dead now by about three or four years, but uh, anyway, he uh, owned about 62-63% of the public stock and he was trying to sell it, but he wouldn't sell it to them. I said, well, I might be interested in it. And, arranged a meeting with them and over a half hour meeting and a handshake we were able to uh, uh, make a deal for his stock. It took a year to close the deal because he had uh, some interesting court cases that he was going through at the time and the, the company had to come out of bankruptcy. But uh, we were able to complete the uh, purchase and took it over in uh, December of 86 and uh, I've owned it ever since took me five years to take it uh, uh, private because uh, it, it had no reason to be public, uh, which is a very expensive proposition. So I ran it as a public company for five years or so, 
and then was able to take it private and uh, sold off stained glass overlay in uh, the mid-90s and uh, basically have run uh, uh, Entrepreneur until I uh, retired approximately four years ago. And my oldest son is now running the company, I'm chairman, but he runs the day-to-day, -day, uh, the business and everything else, and I manage some investments and, and uh, 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 he checks with me now and then about what he's doing with the company. Mm -hmm. Yeah. How does that feel to hand over the company to, to, you, to your son? Uh, you know, it's tough. Uh, you know, because, you know, I've been, let's see, I've been the owner now for, gosh, 30 years. And, uh, you know, uh, we've had some good times and we've had some bad times. And, you know, the different recessions and, and the different things, the, the uh, bust in the uh, dot-com era, you know, we've had a couple of those and, and, uh, and everything else. So, uh, to tr try and hand something over, uh, it's, it's, it's tough for anybody, I think. But uh, there comes a time, and this business has changed so dramatically, and, and it's basically an electronics business now. And, uh, you know, I don't really uh, try and second guess him. Uh, are all his decisions the right decisions? In my opinion, maybe not, but you still let people, you know, that's how they're going to learn. And uh, he's done a great job, and, and so I don't have any, uh, I don't have any problem with that. We've made the transition into electronics uh, quite well. Uh, we've been at it for 15 years, but uh, and uh, get through this election year, which has been uh, every election year is a horrible year uh, for advertising because it doesn't really depend on what side of the fence you're on. It's simply a uh, a function of people aren't looking to buy, typically to buy things, so people aren't looking to advertise, and that's how we make hmm. our money is advertising. That's interesting. Uh, but if I look historically, that's basically what's happened is that uh, election years are not very good years. Uh, this year has been not a very good year. <laughs> We're expecting a better year next year. Yeah. So why, why do you think people are less interested to purchase things in an election year because this is well, so, so much is unknown. It, it, well, if you talk about this year, I mean, there are two candidates. Um, you know, obviously, I have my opinion on who should win, uh, uh, and uh, uh, you know, business is is based upon you know most businesses people one being in a position to purchase things or having the desire to purchase things. And this is a very polarizing year. Uh, the last time was pretty polarizing too, between Obama and Bush. Uh, or no, yeah, oh. right? Obama and Bush? Well, you had- No, no, oh. have, uh, let's see, Obama, excuse me, Obama and, and uh, McCain. McCain. And, yeah, excuse me, McCain. So, uh, God, I'm losing my mind. <laughs> it's okay. I'm getting older. <laughs> but uh, this year is extremely polarizing. And uh, our business is, it's interesting because we, we can actually see 90 to 120 days ahead because that's usually the advertising cycle. Uh, someone doesn't just call up and advertise, you know, it, it, you know, their schedules and everything else. Online is a little bit different because that is month to month where, where print is, is, you know, that 90 to 100 days out. And uh, starting the, you know, starting the uh, first of this year, uh, we started to see that people just, the advertisers, 
advertising agencies, and uh, it's it's bore out by the statistics, and, and you can everybody is you know in our business is seeing their business go down by 20, 30 percent. So no matter who wins, again I have my opinion who I'd like to have win, but no matter who wins, uh, we're already starting to see the ad schedule starting to come in for the first of the year because people will be through that mm -hmm. period of time and they'll be thinking of other things other than who's winning or who's oh, going to win. Interesting. Yeah. Yeah. I, I always thought just even in the clothing business, it seemed like in election years, it was something quirky about those years. So it's interesting that to, to hear you uh, make that statement. So I don't feel as bad now. Yeah. <laughs> is, is there a difference between an entrepreneur and a business person? Well, uh, yes and no, okay, uh, you know, I, I, I used to do a lot of speaking, I still do some, but not as much, and typically uh, one of the questions from the audience, whether it's an audience of a hundred or a thousand, and I've done both, uh, is usually what's your definition of an entrepreneur? My definition of an entrepreneur is someone that's not afraid to lose, because you're going to lose. You know, you don't win every time. And a lot of people uh, can't take losing or, or the thought of losing and, and having to start all over again. Uh, I can tell you that I have, you know, I started with nothing, uh, did very well in the 70s, had to start all over again in the 80s. And there have been times between now and then I've been up and I've been down. But, you know, you dig in and you, get, you do what you got to do, in this case, uh, you know, the, uh, the publishing business has been up and down two or three times since I've been in the publishing business the last 30 years and you have to make changes. So uh, the, the entrepreneur uh, is someone that, that usually can do that if, if, they're, you know, if they're successful and they can take the stress, they can take the stress of that. Now a businessman can be certainly an entrepreneur, but also a businessman can be the chairman of a company or the CEO of a company. Uh, uh, are they entrepreneurs? In a lot of cases, they, they probably are, even though they haven't risked their own money. That's another big difference. When you're playing with your own money, uh, you know, you don't sleep well at night sometimes. You wake up sweating. Uh, you know, it's, 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 a whole, it's a whole different deal. Uh, a uh, CEO or, or, or whatever, uh, that hasn't maybe gone through that, but has come, come up through the ranks and they run these large companies. If they're comfortable in their own skin, and there's an old, there's an old saying is, uh, you should hire people that are smarter than you. Makes you look awfully good. Mm -hmm. And they, you know, they, can do, they can do great things. Uh, if, if you're comfortable, if you're entrepreneurial, that's what you do. If you're not, you don't do that. And because you're always afraid of your position that someone's going to take your position. I've always been under the, uh, uh, under the opinion that I, I would always like to hire my replacement. Yeah. I'm going to get a lot more out of them uh, and uh, it's, it's going to benefit me more by doing that. So I don't know if that answers your question, but that's yeah, kind, of the, it does. kind of the differentiation yeah. in my mind. Now I was speaking to a gentleman one day 
and he was asking me what my target market was and I had said successful business people and he's like no no you got it all wrong wrong target market should be entrepreneurs and so I, I, I saw the difference but I felt I would ask you what what you felt the, the difference was there um, you mentioned entrepreneurs have to be able to, to make changes and, and roll with the punches um, what's the most creative way you had to generate business or to get something going? Well, I think uh, the, the most creative way we started our first big business was in the electronics business. Uh, you can't do what we did then uh, simply because of electronic banking and everything else. Uh, we started the business on our American Express cards. My partner and I each had an American Express card. The banks wouldn't loan us money. You couldn't borrow money in the uh, early 70s. We started in 72, early 73. And uh, the banks wouldn't loan us money. We didn't really have the collateral, but we each had an American Express card. And at the time, uh, American Express, uh, see the gal that used to call me was from New York. The gal that used to call him was from uh, Arizona and you could you could actually float for about 90 days so we were able to create I think I had at the time which was a lot of money it was 30 I owed 30,000 American Express and I think my partner owed him 40,000 so we created about $70,000 worth of worth and we would they would call us up I would remember they call it well you know you got to send in X amount so we send it in but that's literally how we we financed the company was on our American Express cards. Obviously, we, we paid them off, but it, it, it took a while, and then we, uh, but I thought that was pretty, uh, pretty creative. Yeah. Mentioned financing and loans, and earlier you mentioned that banks wouldn't even give loans. And correct me if I'm wrong, did I read in one of the latest subscriptions of Entrepreneur Magazines that you guys have started a loan financing yeah what, what we've what we've done is I've, I've always wanted to do it but uh, it's it's a completely different business uh, than the business we're in and uh, we formed a partnership with can capital who's a very large lender and they have uh, uh, the ability to uh, you know check the credit reports and, and do all the things they have to do but they they do loan to entrepreneurs and uh, so we have formed a partnership with them and uh, they handle all the the uh, the back end of the back end of the business the credit reporting and everything else but uh, the the uh, their criteria for lending money is quite honestly is a lot less stringent than when I started in the 70s and uh, I think that's because one capital is is you know the the interest rates are so low you know keep in mind when we were we were going I mean interest rates were seven eight nine ten percent in the uh, uh, early 80s you were paying 14 percent on uh, loans on your house now you're paying 2.9, 2.5. Interest rates went all the way up to 21, 22%, if I'm not mistaken, in by 80, 83. And that's that's one of the reasons why the peanut farmer, President Jimmy Carter got blown out 
and Reagan came in because it was such a such a disaster. Well, now with interest rates so low, return on investment, uh, you know, you go to the stock market, you go any place, you can't get any, you know, you certainly can't go to the bank. So anyway, uh, Can Capital is has capitalized on that, and uh, they have uh, they're a huge huge company and a lot of backing. So. Like I said, I think their criteria is a lot less than it would have been in the 70s. And uh, so far, it seems to be going pretty good. People mm -hmm. are, are uh, looking at it. We've, uh, they've, they've made a number, made a number of loans and, and uh, really only got going in the last 45 days. So, you know, there's a yeah. uh, period that it takes to start up. Yeah, so how are you promoting it? Um, like I said, I saw it in the magazine, but... Yeah, we're, we're promoting it. Uh, <laughs> we're promoting it online. Uh, Can Capital is... is uh, uh, buying advertising in a lot of different magazines, uh, including ours. Mm -hmm. uh, but uh, you know the online market. I mean, if you look at Entrepreneur.com and and uh, itself generates uh, somewhere, you know, depending upon the month, anywhere between 14 to 20 million unique visitors a month. Uh, we're we've launched a YouTube channel. Uh, on, on, entrepreneur, uh, the Entrepreneur Channel on YouTube, and uh, that um, is is becoming a big deal. So everything we do, you know, you you can find it in there, uh, and uh, uh, once in a while they'll feature it. And then of course, what Can Capital is doing on the other side. So we're reaching a lot of people. Uh, the magazine still reaches uh, 3.2 million people a month. Uh, with the uh, pass along, if you will, and so we do reach a lot of people every month. So uh, that's a good thing. Yes, it is. Tony Robbins, obviously, you're familiar with Tony Robbins. Very, very he, much. So. He says that forgetting is a skill. So with some of your failures that you've seen throughout your your entrepreneurial days. What is one thing that you had to literally forget that it just happened and, and moved on? Well, uh, I, I'm sure what he was talking about uh, was you can't dwell on something. Uh, now, we all make mistakes and hopefully you learn from the mistakes. You know, there's, what's, what's the old saying? You know. Uh, you make one mistake, shame you know, shame, uh, shame on you. Make <laughs> you know the same mistake again, you know, shame on me. But anyway, uh, you know, I think well, you should learn from your mistakes. If you continue to make the same mistake, you're going to be out of business. Uh, but do you dwell on that mistake? No, you just say I'm. Not, you know, you hope you're not going to make make the same mistake. Uh, so I think that's what he's, uh, I'm assuming that's what he's referring, yeah. referring to. Yeah. And, and I agree with that, absolutely. There's a little... Oh, um, but by the way, you don't forget. <laughs> <laughs> you don't forget it? No, no. That's funny. So there's, um, I'm going to read you three, I'm going to start the statement and then I have you finish it. So I normally do this on every episode of Vent with Trent the Gent. So here's the first one. Don't stop blank. Don't stop trying. Okay. You know, uh, if you're not trying, you're, you're not getting someplace and, and that goes for anybody. Second one, you can blank. 
Well, you, you, today you can be as successful as you want to be. I mean, I, I, you know, you read, you listen to some of the politicians, you read some of the papers, and and they're saying, well, you know, you're this, you're you're that color, or you're this color, or you're you come from that background, or you come from this background, and because of that, you can't make it. That's bullshit. Mm. I think today because of electronics, the electronic uh, side of the business, the online and everything else, anybody can be anything they want if, one, they apply themselves, they have the drive, and they forget about all the reasons why you can't. You know, if, if you sit around and think of all the reasons why you can't, you won't. I mean, uh, I, I remember back, I mean, uh, there was, you know, many reasons why you can't do what you did, but you did it. You know, that's being an entrepreneur, that's having the drive, uh, wallowing in self-pity because, you know, I'm, I'm uh, uh, Hispanic or black or, or I'm a poor white person or whatever it is, uh, you know, if, if that's what you're doing, you're a loser because you don't have to. Do you think the teachers are really letting the kids know that they are capable of anything? Or how, how, do you, how do you get that mindset if people aren't feeding you this? Well, unfortunately, I think teachers today, uh, because of the unions and, and some of the uh, I think a lot of, you know, there's a lot of good teachers, but I think there's a lot of bad teachers. You know, I think tenure is, is one of the worst things. You got teachers that are, that are there that can't get fired. Mm -hmm. And uh, you also have rules that have been enforced on teachers that won't allow them to say or do, do different things. So unfortunately, uh, not all, but certainly a good portion of teachers, whether it be uh, grammar school or high school or you know, even, even college, uh, they're not enforcing that you can do things enough, in my, in, yeah. you know, in my opinion. So where does that come from? It, it comes from a lot of different things. It comes from the kid that goes out and gets a job at, at McDonald's and he sees his manager who's come up the ranks, he's making more money. He sees the owner coming and he's able to talk to the owner, you know, whatever, because they're all, they're all franchised. Mm -hmm. And these are all small business owners. Well, how, you know, and, and uh, you know, engage the person. How did you, how did you do this? You know, and, and want to learn. So you can, you can learn from your employers. You can hopefully learn from your parents. Unfortunately, a lot of people, you know, the parents aren't all that great, you know, so you gotta, you, you know, it's, it's, it's a little bit of intuitive. It's, it's a little bit of, I wanna be better. I, I, wanna, uh, I wanna do better, uh, whether it's working for somebody or, or doing your own thing. I mean, uh, you know, it's, it's really up to you. Yeah. You mentioned engaging someone else. So going to question number three or statement number three, conversations are blank. Well, conversations with a lot of different 
types of people uh, are just very, you know, very important. It's, it's part of your education. You know, if, uh, and, and unfortunately, I mean, you know, certainly in, in the, some of the inner cities and, and uh, some of the other things, the only, only people that these people are talking to are people in the same situation. Consequently, the conversation isn't very enlightening, and that's a bad thing. And we talked earlier about the minimum wage and being able to go out to work and meeting different people and everything else. Uh, that's important. That's, that's another thing that I think this whole minimum wage, you know, in my opinion, this whole minimum wage thing going to 15, 20 bucks, 25 bucks. I think in Seattle it's $22. Right now? Or right now. Oh, wow. Right now. It's, it's eliminating jobs. And it's, it's you know, the, the people that need those minimum wage jobs in order to learn in order to see that there is something better out there that they can achieve to uh, is, is very important. And, and what's silly about it, I was in Japan last year for three weeks. Uh, used to go there a lot on business. The McDonald's over there, not all of them, but what's going to happen here? Have robots. Hmm. You walk in and you got a robot with an iPad. And the robot says, hey, how are you today? Recognizes whether you're a man or a woman and ask you what you would like. And if it doesn't understand you, you can also punch it in on an iPad. Guess what? It also takes your credit card, gives you a number, the seat, you know, you, okay, I need a seat for four, gives you a table number. And guess what? Another robot brings the food out. So there's no humans in there. Uh, other other than the people cooking in back. Now, that store happened to be a prototype store, but uh, it, it definitely is, is a thing, you know, and I, I, I did go into a, uh, a McDonald's here. In fact, a, a friend of mine owns six McDonald's. He's a small businessman, and uh, he's built them up over like 20 years. And uh, we got talking about the minimum wage aspect to it. And he has two stores now. I visited one of them. You walk in and there's a kiosk. You still have people there, but there's a kiosk and they're training people how to use a kiosk. You walk in and- What state is this? Uh, California. Oh, it's in California? Yeah, you, you, you push the, you know, you don't have to enter a keyboard, mm -hmm. you know, it's just yeah, push, push Yeah, I think I've it. seen those actually. Push it and it'll also take your credit card or there's someone there taking your credit card, they give you a number. So there's still people working there but that's what's that's what's going to happen because they cannot afford to pay somebody that kind of money. The, the food business is a very narrow profit margin. If, if they're making three, four percent, they're doing very well it's to the bottom line after you know expenses and everything else. So they're they're they have to have the volume, and uh, I mean they they'd die if they could do ten percent which most, most companies you know, like to try and do 10% to the bottom line. So uh, I think that, uh, I don't know, it's, it's gonna be interesting to see what happens, but uh, so. Yeah, sounds like it. So since you do travel extensively, obviously a lot of it's been in Asia, but I'm sure you've been other places. Europe. Europe, yeah. and I believe that's um, how Schultz got the idea for Starbucks. I think he saw it somewhere in Europe and he brought that yeah, idea I over th here. I, I think he saw it in either Norway or Sweden or someplace like that. Mm -hmm. So what is something besides 
the, the robots and McDonald's, something else that you interesting that you've seen uh, in your travels or something that you've learned that you gleaned the most out of traveling? Yeah, I, I learned we don't want to be Europe, which unfortunately our, our president right now would like us to be like Europe. And, and uh, uh, you know, I've been doing business in Europe since the 70s. And uh, what's happening today is, is, in my opinion, criminal. I mean, the, the uh, countries, you know, France and Germany are having big, big problems for, for a number of reasons. And uh, uh, we don't, you know, we don't want to be Europe. Uh, we really don't. It, 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 you talk about entrepreneurship. Very difficult trying to start a company in, in any place in Europe right now. Really? Yeah, because of the laws. Uh, you know, the, it used to be the taxes, but now, I mean, when I started doing business in the 70s in Europe and in Asia, uh, the highest tax countries were Norway and Sweden, those countries up there because they've been socialistic for so long. And then came uh, Germany and France and everything else. You know what the highest country in the world for taxes today is? I do not. The United States. Oh, is it? Yeah, absolutely. Wow. Corporate taxes and personal taxes. Wow. So, you know, by the time you figure out the taxes here in the United States, anybody that's making, uh, you know, you got California, the top tax is 13.3, top tax is uh, 39%, and then you figure property taxes and everything else. That person's paying 62, 63%. So when they, they talk about paying your fair share, that's BS. You know, 63% tax. You know, so you make a buck, 63% goes to the government mm -hmm. of some form or another. And, and the rest you, you know, the rest you put in your pocket. Yeah. I mean, it, it, it you know. It seems it, like the fair it's, share. It's, it's, yeah, what was your is, fair share? It's aimed at the 1%. Well, <laughs> it, it, well, I think, <laughs> I think the statistic I heard was the top 5% in the United States pay over 75% of all the taxes. I don't know. Uh, that doesn't seem that doesn't seem very good. You're going to run out of people's money, you know. Mm -hmm. What 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 was the definition that and I forgot who came it out, you know. Uh, socialism is great until you run out of other people's money. Yes. And we're that's that's happening. Approaching it's got to change. Let's um, switch gears a little bit and talk about your race car driving days. And, and you might still be driving. Um, describe how you have um, prescribed, I heard that whole racing theory, if you're heading toward a wall, look the opposite way, right? Or else you will crash into that wall. So how have you applied <laughs> that just to life and, and business? Well, basically, what what uh, in racing, and I and I did race uh, on a professional circuit for about 15 years. Although you know, I was it was my own money to do it. No one was going to pay me to race. But uh, <laughs> anyway, uh, raced you know all the big tracks: Grand, uh, Detroit, Michigan, and then uh, Daytona, Sebring, Long Beach Grand Prix for about 12 years. But you're right. I mean, the 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 whole idea is uh, you want to look. You know, basically, a car is going to go where you're where you're looking. So if, if you're looking into a wall, you should be looking around the corner there, not directly at the wall. You're probably going to hit it. But um, uh, as as far as 
uh, you know, I guess your question is, is what I learned from, you know, learn from that aspect, mm -hmm. what I could bring it on, is, is being able to concentrate. Our races we were doing were anywhere from an hour and 15 minutes to an hour and 30 minutes, and, and you didn't stop. It was just balls to the wall for that period of time. Uh, at Long Beach Grand Prix, I think we were doing 165, 170 down the front straight. So you better be concentrating. And it gets very hot in those cars. I mean, uh, in Houston Grand Prix, it got to be 150 in the car. We are in that car for almost an hour and a half. And uh, so uh, physically, you got to be in great shape. And I still try and keep myself in good shape. And I think a good businessman usually draw, does. Uh, if they can, they're going to work out and whatever, because I think it, it, it goes to the well-being of that person, both mentally and physically. But also being able to concentrate for that period of time, because if you lose your concentration, guess what? You're going to crash. Yeah. So 150 degrees, 170 miles an hour, just able to concentrate for an hour and a half and being an entrepreneur. So all those things are pretty fearful to most individuals. So with that said, what do you fear? Uh, Besides the government. <laughs> I don't know that I, I fear them, but uh, you know, uh, I guess fear of failure, you know, has, has been always my biggest fear. Uh, uh, you know, trying to good, be a good parent, now a good grandparent is, is very important to me, but uh, I'm, you know, I've been very fortunate, I've been very lucky mm -hmm. um, and very fortunate and, and you know, I think those go together and, and certainly you know, the old saying, you make your own luck, um, that's true, but you got to be lucky too. I yes. mean, you know, there is, there is luck out there. Because uh, I could have stumbled along the way many, many times. I was able to, you know, by hook or by crook, get out of it. But with the luck, when it did happen to you, the whole when preparedness meet opportunity, yeah. you were prepared. Well, for... you know, I, I tell you a funny story. I, I had a uh, stepfather who, uh, uh, during that period of time, who unfortunately was also an alcoholic. And uh, so I went through all the AA and Alateen thing with him, and he, he uh, drank himself to death after about four years. But he was in my life for about three or four years, and I'll never forget because he uh, he told me one time, and you know I was probably six or seven years old, and uh, in 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 those days he had a merry-go-round. There's still merry-go-rounds, and he got on the horse. And it went around and around and around. Well, in those days, they had a little, little box, and in the box was a brass ring. And you'd go along, and if you could reach out far enough, you could hook your finger in the brass ring. Today, they'd sue you because you know somebody might break a finger or yeah. whatever. But you'd try and hook, and you'd come up with a brass ring. That was a prize. And what he said was, and I'll never forget it. He said, "You know, everybody in this life." don't care who it is, has an opportunity to grab the brass ring. But most people, the majority of people, don't know when to grab it. And then another percentage of those people, they grab the brass ring, but then they're not smart enough 
to know what to do with it. So basically, you have to put yourself in a position to grab the brass ring. That could be by working, by learning things, by talking to people. And then through your experience, if you do grab the brass ring, then what to do with it. And that for whatever reason, I mean, I'm six or seven years old, and I've told that story hundreds of times, and it's, and it's true, it's still mm -hmm. true today. Yeah. I think everybody has an opportunity, obviously you gotta make it, and then know what to do with it. Yeah. I don't remember the brass ring, so. <laughs> you're, you're, too, you're too young. <laughs> no. Um, out of all the articles throughout the, the, the years in, in Entrepreneur Magazine, which one sticks to you? What, which one do you remember or have the most effect on you? You know. And why? Well, uh, my, my gift to editorial was and is and has been okay and, and now my son is is the same way uh, is that I don't editorialize but our editorial staff knows that if it's political either way you, you may not be around yeah okay and we're not an investigative magazine so uh, Forbes, sometimes Fortune, they investigate and they, they have stories of, okay, corruption or this or whatever. That's not, that's not what we're about. We're about uh, success, we're about how to, uh, you've got it, how to run it. Uh, we're not, not necessarily an inspirational magazine, although obviously our articles about people's success and how they did it, that, that would be inspirational, mm -hmm. I'm sure. But, uh, so, when you ask me what one article, I don't think there is one article. I think it's, it's hopefully uh, 30 years of articles that have uh, inspired somebody and then hopefully helped them to run it. And I mean, certainly if you read letters of the editor and everything like that, uh, I think, I think we, uh, we do that. And of course now with entrepreneur.com, we reach that many more people on a monthly basis and the articles in there you know, continue to grow and we continue to refine them and, and uh, see where our audience likes to go. So we, uh, we, we, you know, we'll, we'll go, in that, go in that direction. So I think yeah. basically all of them. Just out of a question just, just hit me just now that I probably should ask um, all my guests on Vent with Trent the Gent. Are you left-handed or right-handed? I'm right-handed, but I do a lot of things left-handed. Okay, like what? Well, unfortunately, uh, when I was 13 or 14, I lost my right eye and uh, got shot. Didn't stop me from doing anything, uh, but uh, other than going to Vietnam, I tried to enlist in the Marines in 62. Uh, just graduating out of high school and they, the uh, Marine recruiter thought he died and gone to heaven. There's, I think five of us went down there. <laughs> yeah, we're getting ready to graduate out of high school. We want to go in the Marines. And uh, they took the four guys and he was writing, he was, you know, he, he thought he, like I said, he thought he died and gone to heaven. It was, it was just, Vietnam was just kind of starting in those days. And uh, 
So he's filling out my, uh, you know, my, my form and everything else. And he looks at me and says, what's wrong with you? And I said, well, what do you mean what's wrong with me? He says, well, you got one eye. I said, so? He says, well, you, you can't be a Marine. I said, hey, I can take you and I can take these guys. He says, well, I don't care what you think you can do, but, you know, go down to the Navy. They'll take anybody. But, you know, obviously I couldn't, I, you know, I couldn't go in the, uh, I couldn't go in the service. So, um, but even though I'm uh, right-hand dominant mm -hmm. when I, I hunt still and, and shoot birds and I've shot some, some big game, but I shoot left-handed. Mm -hmm. uh, I can do a lot of things both, both ways, but predominantly right-handed. Yeah. So then my other question lead into that was right-handed, left-handed, are you right brain, left brain? Uh, you know, I've taken the, there, there's been a couple tests online, and I guess I'm both. Okay. Because every time I take one of those tests... Um, is that common? Is, is, are most people, you think, probably somewhere in the middle or both, or do you think it's more You know, dominant? I... Boy, <laughs> I'm probably the wrong person to ask. Uh, <laughs> I know you're not a doctor, but yeah, just... Yeah, I know. I, from, I mean, uh, I, think, I think, you know, to be well-rounded... I mean, you have to be a little bit of both. Uh, as it turns out, if those tests are true, you know, and I've, I've done them just for fun, I'm, I'm both. Uh, I'm probably not, you know, the entrepreneur I used to be. Uh, one age, I, you know, there's really no reason for me to gamble everything, which I've done many times. I, I wouldn't, I can't, I won't do that again. Uh, but, you know, I do make investments and that type of thing. Uh, but 20 years ago, when I just was concentrating on the magazine, that was it. You know, I've become more of a manager, more of an overall businessman, if you will. You asked me that question. I've become more of a, a businessman and a, and a, and a manager uh, than the true entrepreneur. I've, I've, it's it's kind of come together, and, and those are opposite sides of the brain. Yes. You mentioned gambling everything. We're winding down here. Probably a couple more questions. Gambling everything. Is that the craziest idea you've ever had? I mean, maybe that was an idea, but I'm trying to, I guess, ask you what's what's been the craziest idea you've had? Because Einstein said, if at, if at first an idea is not absurd, then it doesn't stand a chance. Uh, well, I've, I've certainly gambled the farm way too many times now there's also an old saying i i stole it from somebody but uh you know and, and and it's very true with me i've had more losers than winners but my winners have always been bigger than my losers mm -hmm. uh and so uh, you know from that standpoint um, that that <laughs> thank god has worked worked out uh, uh Craziest ideas, uh, you know. Unfortunately, when I when I really uh, lost everything in '83, a lot of the investments I was made. The the problem is when you're, especially when you're an entrepreneur and you're aggressive, is you can see something and say, "Well, that's a great idea," and then you convince yourself, but you don't have anybody around you that tells you that's the dumbest thing I've ever seen in my life. Or you've got yes people around you. And you convince them that that's the greatest thing, and you know uh, you 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 aren't right all the time. 
and and you can talk yourself into some really really bad things and uh, certainly I have uh, you know I have uh, I've lived that if you yeah. will and so uh, I think uh, you, you need to have some people around you that uh, are not afraid of you if you will and, and uh, whether they be peers or or just people you trust and you throw things against them, nah, that's that's pretty dumb <laughs> so surround yourself with smart people and no men per se right <laughs> Uh, let's end with, with this question. So if we were to get together three years from now and, and to still do a podcast, um, what would have had to happen to make you feel happy about your success or your, your progress wherever you're going to, where you, wherever you want to be in three years from now? Oh, I'm, I, you know, I'm happy right now. I just want to be uh, healthy uh, and uh, you know, want to see my grandkids be successful. Uh, they're they're young. Uh, I think the oldest one is turning 11 next week, and uh, my boys being successful in, in you know both business and their marriage and everything else. Uh, I'm very fortunate. I've been married 48 years to the same to the same lady. Mm -hmm. Congratulations. Which is uh, <clears throat> not. It doesn't happen very seldom these days. Now, you know, uh, not that long. Maybe that says she's put up with me for all these <laughs> all these years, or I traveled so much that uh, you know. Uh, but uh, you know, I, you know, uh, at this point, you know, from a financial standpoint, I'm fine, and uh, can pretty much do whatever I want to do. Uh, I've done the car routine. I've done you know all the other stuff. You know, my my needs and wants are are. Uh, Quite, quite a lot, uh, quite a bit less than what they were when I was younger. Uh, you know, kind of been there and done that, and uh, so really, uh, health is is a big deal. Uh, work out four or five times a week, and and uh, play golf, ride my bike. You know, we still ski sixty some days a year. So uh, as long as I can keep doing that, then mm -hmm. hey, I'm a happy camper. Sounds good. Well, Peter, thank you for the time that you spent with us today. I've okay. been with Trent DeGent, and hopefully we can do it again down Great. the line. Thanks, Trent. Good thank seeing you. you. Okay. Venters, before I sign off, I want to say how much your time and ears mean to me. By virtue of you tuning in, I gather that you are finding value in the content and in the personalities. If I can ask two things of you, Please let me do so now. Please, number one, take the time to write a review of Vent with Trent the Gent on iTunes. And secondly, please share the link with a person in your contact sphere or social networks. Until the next episode, Venters, remember, you're never fully dressed without a smile. Sartorially yours, Trent the Gent. <laughs>